Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's the criminal code of the underworld and a sacred vow of silence. But what happens when a criminal turns witness against his own? MCD presents Omerta, a live show with me, Nicola Talent, in association with Crime World on April 27th in the Olympia Theatre Dublin. Tickets on sale now at ticketmaster.ie. But really what happens when organised crime takes a very deep root in society, it's, it, it corrupts society in total. And you saw what happened with boxing can take root if they have enough money to throw at the problem and there's enough people willing to turn a blind eye. The volatility that that we're seeing now mm. within organised crime structures in Ireland will probably lead to the outbreak of these type of feuds, micro-feuds, I suppose, like in Finglas, like in Drogheda. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. The trial of Jerry the Monk Hutch will resume this week after a lengthy Christmas break. But it isn't expected to last much longer before judges at the Special Criminal Court retire to consider their verdict. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about the key pieces of evidence against the Monk and the state of play for the prosecution and the defence. In an extraordinary 12 months for the embattled Kinahan organisation, we also discuss the difference a year can make and consider what 2023 will have in store for the key players in the mob. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Christmas. It was okay. It was okay. Was you it? know, it seems like ages ago already. I was actually going to say to you, doesn't it seem like a lifetime ago that we were sitting listening to Jonathan Dowdall? It did. And it, it did take years off our lives. So yeah. lifetime was the uh, yeah the, the accurate term, wasn't it? So it's a bit of a panicky last day in one way. Um, 
I was in the courtroom. I was hoping to wait to the end and I got called away and ended up in a bit of an emergency situation. Uh, but, um, and we missed doing our last podcast, which was disappointing for it, all concerned. It was, it was, it was, having seen the truth at a bitter end. Yeah. You know? But there wasn't that much, really, that we hadn't said at that point. He had been very repetitive for the, the last few days of his, his cross-examination. Yeah, I mean, you could summarise exactly what he what he said over was it seven days you know eight, six, I think. eight days yeah. six hours a day or whatever it is with, with with breaks I had nothing I had no knowledge of the Regency yeah. I didn't know anything and uh, I, I took re- too many tablets I took too many <laughs> tablets and uh, I was afraid of the hutches yeah. and I was just spoofing away to Jerry to try and act a hard yeah. man yeah. so you could summarise it in, in, in two minutes yeah. but it stretched out over eight days but from the defence point of view I do think they they damaged Jonathan Dowdle as a witness. I mean, Mm. I don't think there's anybody, there can be any doubt about that. Yeah. And, you know, there's been time off, which is good for everybody concerned because it was very intense there now before Christmas. And I think everybody was pretty knackered, including, I'm sure, the judges and, uh, you know, the legal, the the defence teams and the prosecution um, who are, you know, Look, everybody says they earn a fortune and they do very little, but when you think of the concentration that goes into these yeah, things, because I mean, it is, it is the concentration is really intense because they really do have to respond to what Jonathan Dowdle is saying. You know, mm. like it's not like where they can have a. I, I presume they do have a certain degree of prepared questions, but they have to try and and, and catch him being inconsistent, and that mm. depends on listening to the answers. You know, but he definitely was. Um, they definitely. Uh, damaged his his testimony mm. it, as in my opinion you know yeah. um, but it's it's and if you're in court of course when you hear witnesses give evidence there are inconsistencies every witness nearly under a long period of cross-examination will show a degree of inconsistency so that's accepted by a court but you know did he show too much inconsistency it's it's hard to see that he didn't so look a new year and we're back in court on Wednesday so let's just recap where we are at with this trial, why it's so significant and what we're expecting over the coming weeks. So in the dock is Jerry the Monk Hutch, who most people know, anybody who's been knocking around Dublin or indeed Ireland for the past, what, four decades would know who who he is. He's accused of murdering David Byrne in the Regency Hotel on the 5th of February 2016. And his co-accused are Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy, who've both denied having any involvement in the murder. They're accused of providing basically the getaway vehicles on the day. Um, They have been lesser lights in this entire trial. Obviously, everybody's fixated on the monk and his defence, which is that he didn't do it. Now, there's three key pieces of evidence against him by the state. Two of them are coming directly from Jonathan Dowdall, the state witness who was previously also accused of murder, but who, in the background, uh, his between his solicitors writing to the police, the DPP, etc., the murder charge was dropped against him and instead he pleaded guilty to facilitating, serving yeah. a four-year sentence and has already appealed yeah. the, the, the length of time. Um, so he is saying two things about the monk. Yeah, so he's saying, I mean, his primary bit of evidence is that the monk told him, personally confessed to him to being involved 
in the murder, directly involved as a, a member of the hit team uh, who who are involved in shooting David Bernican and associates. Mm. So that's that's probably the, the the most damning piece of evidence. He's saying as I'm he's saying under oath in the witness box, Jerry Hutch told me he was he was directly involved in that murder. And then And he told him he said that in a park yeah. in Fairview the day the morning his brother was shot dead. Yeah, so the he's Monday. saying he's saying the Monday. So the regency happened on Friday. He's yeah. saying, yeah, he's he's saying it. He, Jerry Hutch met him actually in Whitehall in a park Whitehall. and told them. Um, Me and my geography, the yeah. north. <laughs> actually, that is a New Year's resolution of mine to just familiarise myself slightly more with the north side. Yes. Okay. The north side is looking and forward to it. And you can do it. similar with uh, the south yeah, side. Yeah, the north side is just can't wait, Nicola. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> but um, so that's that's. The first key bit of evidence, he's saying he, he told him this directly afterwards. And the other bit of key evidence is he's saying that he got the, a key card for the region, for a room in the Regency Hotel, which was ultimately used by a guy known as Flat Cap, um, that he was given that directly by Jerry Hutch. And he then uh, gave that, ended up with Kevin Murray. And that he gave that key card to... Jerry he Hutch gets to Jerry Hutch, who Jerry Hutch yeah. obviously it ended up in the hands of Kevin Murray. That's not yeah. made clear. So he's saying that directly ties him. Jerry Hutch directly ties into that murder plot mm. in advance. So that that's a, a very key bit of evidence. Then obviously he's a sort of um, he's speaking to Jerry Hutch on these now infamous tapes. And so, this is the third bit of evidence, really. There's a three pronged approach to this case by the state. The two pieces of evidence that Dowdall is giving that there's no other witnesses for. And that it's kind of his word against Jerry Hutch's word. And that's why it's been so significant that the defence have almost torn him apart and accused him repeatedly of being a liar under cross-examination. And the third piece is the tapes. There was controversy about whether these tapes would be allowed in or not, but ultimately they were allowed. Yeah, so it's 10 hours of tapes. The controversy arose because the tapes are recorded over two jurisdictions in the Republic of Ireland and in Northern Ireland. So that that's where the controversy arose, whether that would be admissible. But they were ultimately made admissible. And you do hear Jerry Hutch and Jonathan Dowdle having long, sometimes uh, tedious conversations over over the course of a couple of car journeys. Um, and so they're obviously speaking about the Regency there's a few bits of it that the state have honed in on. Number one being that Jerry Hutch at one point discusses giving three yokes, which the state contend is a discussion about three AK-47s that were used in the Regency Hotel. And so they, they're building that as part of their case, that Jerry Hutch can be heard as being part of this conspiracy to murder, really, yeah. and has knowledge of the weapons and, and other matters. Jerry Hutch's defence team have said that it's not... That, it, that the tapes do not show that, that they do not make it that clear. And so that's really the the the, the key evidence that's against Jerry Hutch. There's also other bits of evidence that are probably less damning, but mm. the state obviously brought this case even before Jonathan Dowdle became a witness, so they feel that the... The, the tapes are enough. The tapes are enough. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you talk to people, everyone has an opinion about where this trial is at, where it's going. And, you know, a lot of people, um, I think a lot of guards believe that there is enough in those tapes. When you sit and listen to them, you would wonder because both you and I have felt that he was very noncommittal in them. It's hard to... Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, look, it's clear. He, he definitely not. talks about, he's definitely doing, There's, I mean, he's definitely... 
you know, with the other evidence, doing something as regards getting rid of those weapons. And I think you could come away from listening to those tapes definitive that he was there in the aftermath in this kind of plan to bring in the dissidents to mediate between the Kinahan and the Hutch groupings. You can hear that he was concerned for his family and for people, innocent people were going to get shot. He realised to an extent what was coming at the Hutch family and organisation. But to another extent, there's a naivety there, I think, when we look at it in hindsight, that these dissidents, these hobos from up around the border can <laughs> come in and sit and talk to the Kinnan organisation. Yeah. And we're going to talk in a while about them and, and the takedown of them. But so, um, I mean, look, you can, you listen to those tapes and... It, there, there, there isn't. Everything can be interpreted. Like it's not. It's these aren't uh, sworn witness statements. These tapes. These are obviously two guys in a car chatting. And you know, in a funny way, Jonathan Dowdle keeps saying, "Oh well, I was just saying that it doesn't mm. amount to anything." I mean, obviously, the state's cases when Jerry does say things, it does amount to something. It's mm. not just talking. However, so he's not waffling. But well, he's not just waffling. Jonathan is waffling. Yeah. So that I mean that yeah. that is it's a bit there like is you a, and I. <laughs> yeah, like you're waffling. Obviously, no, yeah, you are. No. <laughs> But uh, so, but that is well. So that's but that is the contradiction there, isn't there? So, but there's obviously as well. You can hear it as you listen to the tapes. Jerry knows stuff that's going on. Mm. I mean, you you might expect him to, yeah. But he does know stuff that's going on, and that'll be part of the sort of common sense approach of what the state is saying is that you can you know this this guy's going to meeting dissidents. He's discussing weapons. It's not he doesn't have a clue. He's you know he knows nothing. So that that that's that's a that'll be decided. But it's mm. it's going to be how things fit together, and that is what you'll hear. Like as we're going to say, there's a couple of weeks left to go, and it'll be how the the, the prosecution decide to to put all these disparate bits together to build a, an overall case. Yes, because that is you know, where it's going. So on Wednesday, we go back into court. We are expecting possibly little bits of uh, evidence about maybe the monk's um, extradition and maybe whatever he said under questioning because everything would have had had to be put to him um, and that might come out. There might be other little bits. But ultimately, I think the next big thing that's going to happen in this trial is the conclusions, is those final... um, speeches by the prosecution under Sean Galan and the defence under Brendan Grahan. And they will be sort of concluding what their cases are or not. And um, that can go on sometimes over a day and a half. That is a very lengthy process, but it's one of the most vital. I mean, if you want to go to a trial and you can't go to all of it, you go to the opening and the closing. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you know, the key witnesses, it's great to be there for the key witnesses usually. Um, but so, you know, that the, the, the closing could take, I would think, a week, given the... Yeah, because there's three people on trial. I mean, the yeah. other two guys are there as well. Yeah. They sometimes get a, become an afterthought in a way. Um, Jason Bonney and Paul Murphy. So they their their case will also have to be summed up. The prosecution will, will also make a case against them and their, their defence will also uh, make a case for why they should be found not guilty. So that would all take another... They will take a couple of days each, mm. I would imagine. Mm. Um, I mean, do you think there's any more big surprises left or is it going to be I a think, calmer kind of a trial going forward? Oh, I think it'll be definitely calmer. Yeah. Um, you know, I think there will be... Uh, 
evidence of arrests, evidence of what was put to people when they were arrested, how they responded. Um, I don't think they said anything mm. in particular, so you probably won't have loads of evidence there. I think there might be some other uh, uh, CCTV evidence or that's, that's not going to be uh, amazing, but it might show a bit more movements of people. Um, so I think you're you're certainly getting to the end game, but it's not going to be like Jonathan Dowdle. I think it'll be uh, the, there'll be a period now of kind of quite technical evidence. It won't be like the uh, carnival no, show it that it was. And just to explain for people, because of course we have to keep reminding everybody that this is in the special criminal court, so it's different than the ordinary courts. In an ordinary court, if a trial came to an end, a judge would direct the jury. The jury would go out to their rooms and start deliberating yeah. and that's when they all decide whether somebody is guilty whether they're innocent yeah. or if there's a hung jury and a hung jury would be when they can't actually decide when there isn't a majority verdict No, so I mean normally they, they, the juries go out there's 12 people or or whatever it can vary sometimes with, with people get sick or whatever so they go out and they may be given a day or two to reach a verdict then a judge may come back and say I'll accept the minority verdict which would be you know, ten to ten to. So that's if there's if there's obviously if there seems to be a struggle to reach a verdict, and then eventually, I mean, and it hasn't happened much in the history of the state. Um, if they can't reach a verdict, there be a hung jury. I mean, it has happened obviously over the years. It happened but it's, in the Stephen Silver case. Do you know yeah, that? Yeah, because we we had the eye off the ball for that because I did cover that a little bit. But Stephen Silver, who was accused of uh, murdering Garda Horkin, yeah. And uh, there was a hung jury in that case. It's, 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 you know, could you call it as much as, uh, as a disaster for everybody? It's very hard on the victim's family. It's very hard yeah. on the accused. It's expensive on the state. It's a whole new trial. Yeah. Somebody's recharged and they have yeah. to go Yeah, and again. they also have to give as well a period of, a cooling off period yeah. if there's a hung jury because they can't go straight into it mm-hmm. because obviously the evidence being in the public arena, it'd be very hard to, find a juror that maybe hasn't heard something of it. So they have to have a cooling off period. I mean, it obviously does happen. Yeah. Um, but they don't let juries go on and on, I suppose. Uh, if they don't reach a verdict, if they can't reach a verdict after four or five days, I don't think there's been anything longer than five days. No, no, no. So they, they then they'll, they'll call a hung jury, but that won't happen. No, because all of that is in the normal course of events and not before the Special Criminal Court. This case is before the Special Criminal Court, so the judges will, you know, retire yeah. To consider yeah. their verdict. Yes. And which it, is a judgment, which they will come back and read at length to the court and they will detail how they accepted some evidence, how they didn't accept other evidence. You know, they will likely detail what they felt about the state witness, Jonathan Dowdall. They will detail, um, you know, those three key yeah, so, pieces I mean, of, of, of evidence are, are of what the state say makes the, the monk guilty. Yeah. They will go through that forensically and legally. Yeah, so they don't know. I mean, like obviously you would say if you the famous murder trials, the jury just come back and say guilty or not guilty. Yeah. You don't know why they, they, yeah. they reach the decision. And you, in Ireland, at least, you almost never find out. Mm. That's different in the special criminal court because they will say, you know, we believe Jonathan Dowdle, we didn't believe Jonathan Dowdle or, or any number of those things. So it'll be a totally, it's a totally kind of different process. I mean, I don't know actually how the special, do they 
do they vote if they disagree? Is it two to one or is it? Is oh, it I that don't know that actually whether they do. Presumably they do um, if they disagree to that extent. I know that I've I've sat through um, some of the judgments and I remember for, uh, for Freddie Thompson um, listening in the beginning, you're going, which way is it going? Yeah. And, uh, you know, quickly you sort of realise which way the wind is blowing for the accused, you can kind of, you know, okay, they they didn't accept that. They yeah. did accept that. Okay, that's two yeah. points for yeah. guilty, yeah. zero, yeah. null point for, you know, innocent. And you'd, so as it goes on, but it's very robust and very, you know, because, of course, the judgment can be appealed. Yeah. So they have to make it as robust and cover every avenue they, they need and, to. And, and they always get appealed in the special criminal court judgments. Mm. And they all, they, because... Often on the same grounds. Well, largely because most people are found guilty. Well, they There's are, a huge uh, percentage of people found guilty in the Special Criminal Court. That's a fact. And they will appeal it. There is something like 90% of accused found guilty in the Special Criminal now, Court. Yeah, people probably won't want to hear that. But of course, you know, ordinary criminals don't come before the Special Criminal Court ordinary as people. well. Well, ordinary criminals even, yeah. if you know what I mean. Yeah. So... Yeah, look, it's it's the special criminal court is obviously a hugely controversial part of Irish, the Irish legal system, you know. Mm. Um, so these verdicts, when they're people are found guilty in the special criminal court, they often end up in going trying to get the European court saying mm. it's it's unfair that Use they're held their human rights yeah. and whatever else. Yes, in terms of not yeah. being allowed go before jury of their yeah. peers, which is a cornerstone of our legal system. And of course, Jerry Hutch and his then co-accused Jonathan Dowdall appealed yeah. the fact that their cases, their murder trials were happening in the Special Criminal Court before it ever happened. Yeah. Um, Jonathan Dowdall may have, well, as kept as wished because he, he never would actually end up in the dock for murder. But at that time when he was charged initially, they they both... Well, I think now if you sat in... the case to happen in a normal court. If you were sitting there as a juror listening to Jonathan Dowdall... I think that would have, Jerry Hutch would have been delighted to have a jury listen to him. Damn right. He would have, yeah. it really. Jerry Hutch wanted a jury from the beginning. But it doesn't, like for a jury wouldn't have liked hearing all that evidence, if you know what I mean. Mm. But judges maybe may assess that differently, yeah. you know. Um, so some of the things of where somebody is likable or not probably don't play as well or as badly in front of a juror, uh, in front of a judge as they may in front of a juror where somebody is a sympathetic or an unsympathetic witness. A judge may, a judges may be more dispassionate mm -hmm. about that type of thing. But you can see why Jerry Hutch would have wanted a jury to hear Jonathan Dowdle's testimony because I think he, he, you, you, can you can understand that on a, on a basic level. Mm -hmm. Well, look, I am going to say that I reckon we are not going to have a verdict probably until the end of the first quarter. Which would be when? Year. I think we're probably not going to have anything until maybe April. So early the, April. I mean, the courts break March. again in April, do they? They do, yeah. Maybe before that break, I think maybe yeah. we'll have something. Because the the judges won't want to leave. Like, I mean, Jerry Hutch has already been in custody for a long time. They're not going to want to leave that decision. Their priority will be finishing this case, coming up with a, the verdict and giving their judgment. And um, I think they're going to be hard at work from you know, if my estimates are right, another two weeks of the case starting yeah. next week. And I think they'll be working through February and probably into March. Yeah. Maybe early April, just, yeah. you know. Which is, a, yeah, it, I, I think that's right. I think the, 
those natural breaks do mm. sometimes give people a kind of deadline. Exactly, yeah. Do you know, yeah. just like we saw with Jonathan Dowdle ending just before Christmas, you know. So, anyway, that's where we're at with that. So we're going to be back in court next week. But we thought we'd have a little recap because we never did our little Christmas No, thing. no, no, we were no, gonna, no. We had planned doing a year in review and yeah. I was going to drink during yeah, it. I was going to wear gonna, a Santa hat, was I? Yeah, you were going to wear a Santa hat. Mm. I was going to drink wine or something <laughs> like that. And we were going to talk about what happened over the year, but we never got to do that. So we're going to just do a little recap on the other major story, of course. And really, this Regency trial is, you know, it's 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 at the centre, it's at the heartbeat of what has happened to the Kinahan cartel since 2016 and all the rest of it. But just taking the last 12 months um, as regards the Kinahan organisation, what has happened to them. It's been a sensational. We were joking in the office before Christmas that I was going to do a Queen's speech on <laughs> the Ennis Horribilis, which it had been uh, for Daniel Kinahan and co. But in all seriousness, this time last year, he was posing on the rooftop of a five-star hotel in Dubai with his arm around Tyson Fury. Yeah. Um, Looking you know, it just shows what can happen in a year. Yeah. I mean, I think at that point, like he actually... This time last year, he launched a publicity drive to mm. put all that crime stuff behind him. I mean, that that is the reality, isn't Ish, it? Yeah, I mean, that's how untouchable he was. He was a long time from the Regency. He was a long way from Ireland, from where the pesky Garda Síochána here have been working away, trying to, to link him to something. And he was obviously feeling he had got away with it all. Yeah, I mean, I think we were hearing back that from, from sources that he really felt... That was he was just had to take the final step to become mm. to become a legitimate appearing to be a legitimate boxing promoter. I mean, the, the success of Tyson Fury had really propelled him into another level there. I mean, Tyson Fury, some incredible successes as a boxer, huge money involved in his fights, and he was edging towards respectability. And as he has done over time, as he, he did this time last year, he was getting some of his closest associates in the boxing world mm. to put him out on social media, to pose with him in pictures, to trot out the line. Daniel's never been convicted of anything. He's a brilliant manager, the best he's guy. Only, his only interest is for the boxers and their well-being. Yes. So he had, he was, he first appeared, well, he, Tyson Fury, he was also appearing with Sonny Edwards, another champion boxer. Um, he was... There was just a rake of social media mm. posts all of a sudden with Daniel and he was... And he had that situation with the, um, wasn't the Pakistani Minister for Sport, he was photographed, him and, and Sandra Vaughan were photographed. Yes, there was a whole, uh, there was a whole series of, of meetings. He was also involved in, a, he was, he met with Sa Sandra Vaughan who had been, who had worked with him as a, in the boxing world, um, with MTK mm. and they appeared meeting the uh, a, a Pakistani minister um, all about taking it forward. And, and I mean, you know, it looked really bad for the good guys then, didn't it? It was like, it was just, it felt as if the good guys were losing, that this guy was going to win this long battle and that there was nothing anybody could do. There was nothing law enforcement could do. He was there. He was beyond the reach of everybody. I mean, he wasn't only just you know, doing these kind of like photographs and getting other people to say things about him. He was actually planning 
what we reckoned was a three-hour interview with the podcaster, the UK podcaster, James English. This had been recorded out in Dubai and clips of it began to appear in March in the run-up to the big interview, which was going to happen on St. Patrick's Day because he's such a patriot. And he was going to tell the world you know, his woes yes. and how badly treated he had been by the media. The Irish media. By the Irish media in particular, yeah. of course. And that, you know, he was an innocent and what was one of the clips I think we um, saw and, and we have showed him talking about what happened to him in the Regency and how he saw the gun and he ran yeah. and he was, you know, he was sitting in a in a in a in an office which we would later be looking at for a different reason. Yeah. But that was all in March. Yeah, like I mean, I remember watching it and thinking this guy is I mean, he's 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 gone past the control of, you know, the guardier after him, but sure he never has to stand set foot in Ireland again and he looked like he had become untouchable. Mm. However, there was also other people saying uh, you hear this other word saying, No, he's he's deluded there. Yeah. And you know and if you've any good sources at all they have been saying from the beginning, you know, they're gone, they're gone. Yeah. This is a great big plan. And I mean, we weren't really privy to how big the plan was. No. Of course, the only negative that happened for him at the beginning of last year, 12 months ago, in around was Raphael Imperiale, the uh, head of the Camorra, who was sent back to Italy. And he was one of those named as being part of the super cartel along with Daniel Kinahan. So he was arrested in Dubai and sent back. But still, but the I mean, Kinahans were left standing untouched. Yeah, and it looked like it took a while to get Raphael Imperiale actually out of the country and back to Italy. So it didn't, even that looked a bit shaky at yeah. times because it didn't happen as smoothly as predicted. So it looked like they could hold on and he looked like the guy who had, he'd, he'd embedded himself in society over there in a way mm. that some of the other uh, exiled mafia figures hadn't. So Daniel Kinnan had had made friends with people within within that society in the Emirates had cozied up to people, you know, in hereditary positions of power. And it looked like he would be the one untouchable because he was running, a, uh, you know, he was involved in legitimate businesses as well. Um, and so, as you, as you said, there were sources saying, no, no, he's, it, that's not the way it is. But to, to me, certainly, it looked like... He's, he, you know, he, is, he isn't going to be caught. Yeah. And it feels like a very long time you're saying it's the end, it's the end, it's the end. But sure enough, by April, and of course, just as I went on my Hollybops, yes. um, there was an announcement in Dublin, which was an absolutely extraordinary event, which will be spoken about for years to come, and which was a first really for a European drug gang, not only to come out of Ireland, but to a gang to come out of Europe because the US, of course, got together here in Dublin and um, along with the NCA, the National Crime Agency in the UK, representatives from the Garda Siakona, uh, the DEA, the US Treasury, they got together and announced that the Kinahans were being sanctioned. Yeah, which was an in, like an incredible thing to see, really. Um, you see last night all the, um, the, the the problems in Sinaloa in Mexico where yeah. they're, you know, El Chapo's son is arrested and they're, 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 they're literally, the society's breaking down. But they have the same five million pound on the head of El Chapo's son. Yeah. They have that exact same figure and exact same wanted notice yeah. on the tree, Daniel Kinnan, 
Christy Kinnan Sr. and Christy Kinnan Jr. So they're putting they're putting them in there together. And it was incredible to see that. And, you know, we've endured it for years, or you've endured it a lot, a lot more than most, that Daniel is an innocent man, mm. he's no, no convictions and nothing is proven. And he's, you know, all of that ended just like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Once that the US ambassador stood up, put up that wanted notice, that was the end of them, yeah. being away, able to say that. So you had people like Bob Arum, the boxing promoter, who'd resolutely stood behind Daniel up until that point, uh, you know, saying stuff like, I don't know anything about it, but I just know he's an honourable man when I've dealt with him. As soon as the US uh, government did that, the next day Bob Arum was saying, I'll never deal with him again. So and the, the head of the boxing, the, your man Suleiman, was it? But he, yeah, so all he of that. He had also backed him. He had also him. backed him and many, many, many others. Mm, I mean, let's, mm. let's not pull our punches on that. So, but that all ended in the space of 10 minutes, really. Which they quickly ran for the hills, all of them, didn't they? they? Ran including from the hills. Tyson Fury, who was questioned in an interview and said that he had nothing to do with them and he was nothing to do yeah, with him and didn't all the know rest anything of it. About him, so. about him. I mean, I think we could safely say that the rest of that year, like from April going forward to now and ongoing, has been the most enormous learning curve for us, even. You know, we felt we knew a lot about the Kinahan organization. We had been years delving into the way they operated and, you know, their their international um their international partners. But what has come out since the sanctions has really even opened our eyes oh, to, absolutely. What, to what was going on, to how big they'd become. I mean, a cartel isn't the word for them. They're worth billion and billions and billions. They're a massive corporate entity. Um, we know now, and obviously it started coming apart in the September of last year, they were using the Hawala uh, underground banking system that began in the Middle East. Um, Johnny Morrissey, their, their, their laundering head in Europe, was arrested in September in Spain, um, along with his wife, who was later released by the November, only a couple of months ago, Eden Gasselin, the last really bar Daniel Kinahan of the members of the European super cartel, was uh, arrested under Operation Desert Light and has been returned to the Balkans um, by December yeah. Raphael Imperiali had gone state with gone become a in, state in witness. Italy. I mean, it has just been. I mean, if you see some of the stuff coming out about Raphael Imperiali, you see the type of. I mean, I think it had he he spent three hundred grand on on just pocket money in the space of two and three months. So that that's the type of wealth yeah. they were having, and even in in the latest stuff coming out of from Italy about him is about the Hawala system, which is a, a way in in which uh, it's a traditional form of of kind of uh, to replace kind of banking really. So it just shows you that that they had they had a set up a perfect system really, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but once a few of the dominoes started to fall, it's it's just spread like a chain reaction. And, you know, we talk about that starting point of the Kinnahan Hutch feud and when you can have so many different, I mean, is there an ultimate one? And it's the same really with the takedown of the Kinnahan Organised Crime Group. You can keep the starting point moving and um, 
is it the, the 2017 wedding when the super cartel come together? Is it the problems within the Kinahan organization from about 2015? Is it prior to that when obviously the plan for this super cartel comes together and maybe the Hutch organization are no longer part of that grander plan Daniel Kinahan has? Or is it the moment that the DEA realized that this money laundering system being used by this European super cartel by the Kinahans is funding Hezbollah? And that probably really is ultimately the turning point, which happens before any of these events that we recognise. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, is the real starting point of the, uh, the takedown of the Kinning cartel come with the involvement of the Americans when, mm. when the Americans, that huge uh, world superpower, decides that these aren't just backwater drug dealers that are you know, spreading a bit of cocaine, that these are, are you know, a, sort of a global threat, really. I mean, if you think back to the stuff that came out during the year um, from an international consortium of journalists about Christy Kinnan, uh buying Egyptian, uh, for, you know, decommissioned yeah. Egyptian jets. Like, if if we had known that, which we didn't know, but if we had known that yeah. and put that in the Sunday world in, say, 2019... People would have said... What is that, a comic? Yeah, what is that, a comic? Yeah, look at what the stuff, you know? And which is what Daniel Keenan was actually saying in that interview that never happened, like, oh, you know, I'm involved in Africa, it's ludicrous. Yeah. But, you know, if we had said that, it would have yeah. sounded so bizarre mm-hmm. and... and uh, totally off the wall. Off the wall yeah. and exaggerated and crazy. But, you know, then it comes out and you actually, they have, they had videos or, sorry, still photographs of meeting these guys, attending the event. So just the absolute scale of it, like it is. But that's what I mean about it. Like the last year has been a kind of a learning experience for all of us about the scale of it. And I think the thing about the Kinnahans is, and the takedown of the Kinnahans, and we talk about it as well from what we have gained here in Ireland from the Garda Shikona's role in it, because of course it's a big international takedown. Um, But... We've learned really, and for those who continue to find this interesting and continue to read and listen about it, we've learned really that organised crime is an economy and that it's probably closer to all of us than we think. And it's probably more part of our world than we previously think. We know that um, it's a business. We know that it's funding terrorism. It's not just you know, funding a certain amount of drug dealers. It's funding terrorism across the world. Um, and we know, I think, from our from the work here, from the Garda Corner, from what they've done, and from the greater takedown, that the biggest threat to the ordinary person and to society from organised crime is the corruptibility of it. And we look at what happened in sport and what we now know because of the investigation into sport. And I'm not just talking boxing. Because, I mean, the boxing is a no-brainer how Daniel Kinahan, you know, tried to literally take over that sport yeah, and become and the biggest. And successfully did. Yeah. And wasn't challenged from within it. But we also know that um, the Kinahan organisation, Organised Crime, have been targeting soccer. Uh, in this country, we, we know of um, a number of senior members of the Kinnan organisation who have taken a huge interest in their local soccer clubs and have tried to take roles in them that would give them a respectability within the community. And really, 
that kind of respectability in the community then brings them alongside politicians and probably police chiefs, etc., etc. Yeah. And that happens across the world. We know that the Kinnahans uh, attempted to and did sponsor a rugby team in Spain. We know that Johnny Morrissey and his wife tried to sponsor a soccer team in Scotland. Yeah. So they're not just targeting boxing, which is that working class sport. They're moving into other sports where which and are as middle class as anything. And I mean, there's no reason why the likes of the GAA shouldn't be very concerned that organised crime isn't targeting it. No, I mean, sports and, and charities, remember. Yeah. I mean, those two organisations have been attractive, not just to, to the Kinnans, but if you look across the world, the same thing has happened again and again. In Colombia, you had those the, the cartels in the 80s and 90s got involved in major professional mm-hmm. sports, got involved in charity organisations. And what happens, and it happens in Mexico as well, and what happens is it corrupts society. Mm-hmm. And the problem, drugs obviously are a problem, they call health consequences and, and all of those things. But really what happens when organised crime takes a very deep root in society, it's, it it corrupt society in total. Um, and we've seen in, in, in the Netherlands, which is, um, you know, a very, very advanced economy by any standard, very something equivalent to Ireland, slightly bigger country, but not massively different. What you've seen is that organised crime was allowed to get too strong. And what you have is the Prime Minister of the Netherlands and, and other senior ministers having to be given protections because of the danger from organised crime gangs where they're shooting witnesses, solicitors, and journalists, everybody. And so the the, the, the danger of organised crime is not that somebody's going to be selling cocaine because I think we can all accept somebody is always going to be selling cocaine. When someone wants to buy it. When someone wants to buy it. I mean, that's there is. People always say, oh, sure, what does it matter if the Kinnans are gone? Somebody else will come in their place. And to an extent, that is true. But what, what can happen if you don't take down extremely big organised crime groups is they corrupt the very nature of society. Mm. And you've seen that, obviously, in the North, not to compare the Kinnans to the IRA and, and, and loyalist paramilitaries. They are different. There are political differences and everything like that. But what happened with those organisations in the North was they managed to embed themselves in society so much that they took over, in part, the role of policing communities and all of those things. And that can happen in modern developed countries. And how do we know that? Because we can actually see it in in in, in the Netherlands. And not only that, but some of those encrypted phone takedowns, the hacks of last year and recent years, excuse me, have also shown and one of the priorities that the European police forces took out of all the information, not just taking down the crime gangs and identifying what they were doing and where they were holding their drugs and where they had their torture chambers and all the rest of it, but also identifying the levels of civil servants that were on the payroll, people working in in customs in the the courts who were actually being paid and who were facilitating allowing the, the drugs in. So that's another kind of an eye-opener for us. Yeah, because, I mean, if you let these things go, they will get worse and worse as long as there's enough money to pay them. So you had in in places like Colombia and in places like Mexico now, and not just in, in countries maybe like that, but in the US at certain points in their history, in the 1930s, maybe in the 1970s with the mafia, where 
whole parts of society were really run by organized crime. I mean, they talk about the whole property market in New York. Nothing happened without the say-so of the mafia. And it took maybe 10 to 20 years for that to be undone. And what happened was that the mafia weren't stopped. So it's true, somebody's always going to sell drugs, but you can't allow organized crime groups to become a, a genuine player in society. And therefore, it is really important what the, the Guardia and other police forces have done, not because it's going to stop every drug being sold in the, in the, in the country. That will continue to go on. That's a fact. But that, it, that there isn't that corrupting element can't be allowed to take root. And you saw what happened with boxing, that... Mm it can take root if they have enough money to throw at the problem and there's enough people willing to turn a blind eye. Well, they say money buys everything. Predictions for 2023. Big ones. I mean, I'm not talking about who's going to win the soccer or whatever I'm asking you about. <laughs> What's going to happen? What are the big stories that we're going to be looking at this year, do you think? Well, I think the there is no doubt that the Kinnan organisation has uh, effectively lost control of the drugs trade in Ireland. So as we said, there will be some other people stepping in. Um, It'll be chaotic for a few years, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that that massive void isn't going to be filled quickly. There's obviously, you know, you have the family there who are the top targets now of the Drugs and Organised Crime Bureau, obviously West Dublin, former heroin dealers who are now dealing everything. Yeah. And you have the Mr. Big operation and others. But there's a lot of smaller groups that are going to be vying now for... Yes, and I think you'll see uh, regional drug crime will continue to grow massively, I think. In, yeah. in, in, you're going to see that while the Dublin gangs tended to control everything, I think you're going to see regional players really pop up. Um, you will see, I think, new new gangs emerge. There, there's, But I think you're going to see there's a there's the volatility that, that we're seeing now mm. within organised crime structures in Ireland. Um, will probably lead to the outbreak of these kind of uh, feuds, micro-feuds, I suppose, like, like in Finglas and like in Drogheda. Um, there's, They're there's a bit more opportunistic. They're not quite as organised. No, they no. are targeting certain individuals in them, but they'll take what they can get. No. They'll throw an but old firebomb into a house if they can. Yeah, but I mean, there's a level of violence when it gets embedded in. in so if you saw over the... Um, over the Christmas, there was a, a man brutally murdered in, in Drogheda with a, a hammer... I mean, very, very violent mm. crime committed by one of the people associated with one of the feud gangs in Drogheda. Um, so that level of violence, although it's nothing to do with that feud, that that man's debt, mm. some of the same people are involved. And that's because that level of violence that was caused by that feud has become baked into it there now. Yeah. So I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, there's been very low murder rates actually in Ireland over mm. the last couple of years. I think you're going to see a lot more volatility. Um, but the Dickinans have, you know, there's there's some of the people they're involved with are still going to remain major players. But the, the And obviously 2023, I mean, it's undoubtedly going to be the deal breaker. The Kinnans are wanted in a number of jurisdictions. Well, are we gonna are we gonna see one or all of them before courts by by this time next year? I I would think we. I are. would think we are as well, and I think it's a question of where that will be. I mean, we know that uh, Daniel Kinahan has been um, strongly suspected of having links to a number of murders in this jurisdiction, feud murders, at least directing them. We know that the encrypted technology uh, that has been hacked into is being actively gone through across the world by experts and um, you know there is certainly 
a desire by police here in Ireland who have been uh, investigating this gang for so many years to to bring certainly Daniel Kinnan, I think, before the courts here. Whether that happens or not remains to be seen, but I think probably his brother and father will go elsewhere. Yeah. But... Um, well, I think, you know, we're doing, if we're doing the same wrap-up this time next year, you know, we will see somebody before courts from, from that very top. So it's going to be another bloody busy year. It's going to be another busy year, yeah. You see? And I've booked my holidays. So, so yeah, so if you want to know when everything's going to happen. Yeah, just have just, a look just, at the roster. Look when just Nicola's seriously have a look. I'm telling you all, I'm just warning you that... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not going to announce when I'm going on my holidays, but I am, I'm telling you I'm going to be coming on from God knows where across the world from some hotel room to talk to you to say, can you believe it's happened again? So there we go. So for the moment, anyway, we'll be back next week kind of in a more orderly fashion. Um, We've lots of stuff outside the Hutch trial to discuss. And um, we are, we're sort of modernising ourselves slightly in crime world. We're going to start, Claude is going to start a little bit of TikToking, a little bit of Instagramming, and uh, a little bit of a visual we're treat do for a little our bit listeners. Of, yeah, visual treat, a visual treat. <laughs> that's it, that's it. And we're all going to have to start wearing a little bit of makeup, and maybe not just, all of us. Hopefully, yeah, but no, no, straightening our hair. I see you got your hair done. That's. <laughs> did you see his hair? Yeah, did this out here. Somebody did a little point at the front of it. <laughs> Don't put that. No, but it's on. Sorry, okay. Ian. Obviously, uh, that well. stays on. But it, look, he's he slapped it down there now. But did you see his hair? He's actually got his hair cut because he thought we were being videoed today. That's I not didn't. True. That's not true. Look, much more of a natural me. <laughs> but um, yeah, but he is going to be a little bit more for the ladies. We'll have he, you on a little Botox bit of Botox and stuff. Can you get Botox on expenses? I'm sure you can. I can try. We'll ask Brian yes. if that's okay. We'll all go for it, will we? <laughs> I don't know. Um, and a few other things right, besides, okay. why not? Why not? Yeah, put it in as part of the visual experience. Yeah. Okay, well look, I'll uh, I'll see you and talk to you next week. Thanks, Nicola. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.